Welcome to Voices of Care, the podcast series from New Cross Healthcare that seeks to get to the heart of the issues facing the UK health and social care sector by talking to leaders that are truly enabling the healthcare workforce of the future. I'm Sahel Mirza, and today we're going to look at the Welsh nursing profession, which is a significant part of the NHS workforce, but is facing tremendous challenge and, in some cases, a crisis, according to many commentators. It's therefore vitally important to hear from somebody who truly understands the drivers behind this change and can provide solutions for that. I can think of a few people better qualified than my guest today, Helen Wiley, the Director for Wales for the Royal College of Nursing. Helen, welcome to uh, Voices of Care. Thank you for giving us your time. Thank you very much for asking me. It's nice to see you. No, it's a delight to have you here. It's a a momentous decision uh, to take industrial action. Uh, I know you've been involved with that, of course, uh, with the Government of Wales. Um, It's important to understand the lessons that we can learn, all of us across the UK, for the nursing profession in terms of the industrial action and the ongoing negotiations. What have been the key things that you've learned throughout this whole extraordinary process? Well, I think initially we need to look at how did we get there? Where was, what's the journey? So the Royal College of Nursing in Wales has never taken strike action before and we've been around for over 100 years. So just that in itself tells you something about how the members of the Royal College of Nursing have been feeling, not just this year or last year or the year before, but for a number of years, the pressure in the system, the demands on nursing, the feeling of being undervalued, overworked, not listened to, has has compounded upon itself. And then add into that their sense of how patients are suffering and you arrive at a point where registered nurses and nursing support workers start putting their cross in a ballot to say, I want to take strike action. The law requires a 50% turnout. We exceeded that easily. Getting out and about, talking to members about the ballot, I found it really quite humbling to hear about their experiences. And I mean, I knew the world was bad and I I speak to members all the time, but I didn't realise it was quite as bad as it was. And so the massive turnout that we had became very quickly for me something I was expecting. You know, I would I would hear stories that really made my toes curl of of staff put into situations that we shouldn't put staff into, where they'd walk into a ward, for example, be a newly qualified nurse and have no other substantive staff with them. Promises of, you know, a senior nurse to help you never arriving. And that wouldn't just happen for one day, but it would happen for weeks. Um, And then stories as well of sisters saying that they would have enough staff on duty and then someone would say, look, we've got pressure in another ward. Please, can you release a member of staff? And that sense of this corporate responsibility for safety actually translating into a reality every day for registered nurses because they had to move their staff and then when they did move their staff a frail elderly person might fall and have an injury Um, and I think that's something I really learned is the absolute importance of listening to what's going on and trying to respond to it. I think the other things I'm learning as we go through is that this history of the sense of injustice, undervalue, etc., is now very difficult to resolve in one or two pay years. And certainly what I talk to members about is, you know, and I talk to the government about and the employers is we have to think and demonstrate that we can do 
short, medium and long term planning and take those actions. You know, look back at some of the policy papers in Wales written by some really eminent people. One list that was written in 2003. That's 20 years ago. And it said we can't carry on. Health service is going to fall apart if we don't do something. And then we've had a review, a parliamentary review of health done by uh, the Welsh Government. All really great reports, all with fantastic recommendations that we all agree are great and should do. And yet the traction on delivering those is frustrating and very difficult to do. And I think that's really come out for me in, in terms of the industrial action. For a college, I think we've also learned how to engage and mobilise our members and give them the power to grasp their voices and talk about these issues. Whereas before, I think nurses felt quite intimidated not to say, it, I'm, I'm worried about patient care because people were coming into our hospitals and into our mental health services. But whereas now I think we have engaged them and empowered them to take that space and really speak up for their profession and the things that they, they value. And so going forward, I'm hoping that we'll get to a sense of some industrial peace, but that's part of that. We'll have a roadmap that really delivers for the nursing profession. I'm really proud of my profession and it's something I know we can do and I know will make an absolute difference, not just for the people who want to be nurses and who are nurses, but ultimately for the care of patients. Just look at the evidence base. It speaks for itself. You have registered nurses... People live longer. They don't go into hospital. They have less, you know, harm whilst they're in hospital or using services. So those are all things when I think about where we've been with the industrial action that I'm really keen that we keep and use as we move forward over the next few years. No, absolutely. I think uh, the key there is this is not going to be a simple exercise. There's multiple factors and action required, not just industrial action that we've had, but action on all sides from all stakeholders. Um, we 12th of May is an important date, uh, International Nurses Day celebration. This year we're looking at uh, a brighter future, how nursing can uh, improve global health. Just wanted to get your uh, insight in terms of your view of the future of nursing and what people can expect entering the profession, given your own depth of experience. Mm. Well, a bright future, I definitely think there is one for nursing. And again, and I just reflect on how we the profession responds. So, you know, in my world, if you want something done, you tend to ask a nurse. We don't have enough doctors, we provide, you know, advanced nurse practitioners. We don't have enough um, people to look after, people with enduring mental health, we create consultant nurse roles. So nursing is a safety critical, evidence-based profession that has a massive future the difficulty there is we need to make sure that we invest in it so in in wales and across the rest of the countries we tend to workforce plan for staff nurses or support worker roles we don't always think when we have a hundred new nurses across their careers we actually want some of them to be health visitors and some to be advanced nurse practitioners and some to be consultant nurses and some to be endoscopists and all sorts of things that nurses do but we don't plan for that so for me that future can be made really bright by developing those career pathways not everybody will want them 
but a significant number of the workforce will. And stop letting it do what it is now. It's a bit of luck or judgment. You've got to apply for a post. Generally, you've got to fund your own uh, education or you've got to um, you know, do it in your own time. One or the other tends to be. Whereas actually, if we, if we create academies and career pathways, we can help nurses on the journey from support worker into registered nurse and then registered nurse across various spectrums of practice and I think that's a really great opportunity for health services not just NHS but others as well to really embrace and say you know come and work for us and we will give you a career but also to open up other opportunities why are nurses not part of the general medical contracts for example we've got as many skills to offer as pharmacists and and GPs and dentists and others so you know we need to think differently about where nurses want to go the way nurses want to work is different too nowadays you know people want flexibility they want to be able to work when they want to and generally it's a 24 7 service so there's really no reason why we shouldn't be able to do that because some people will want to work you know night and some will want to work during the day or weekends so we ought to move into the mindset of the future generations and say it's not all you must work internal rotation it can be about flexible working getting that balance so that you can have a fantastic career well supported but also have a really good home life and we do those things what a fantastic profession to be in you know it really is it changes people's lives and it is a great way to spend your time caring for other people that's a great message (laughs) international nurses day going to tackle some of the topics that you've touched upon there which uh, require sort of immediate attention uh, in addition to this vision that you've painted safe and effective care is fundamental incredibly important to the rcn's uh, work and mission we're seeing more and more according to reports that you've published valuing nurse last year um 3,000 registered nurse vacancies in wales a lot of people leaving the profession altogether um i wanted to really touch upon the retention and recruitment issue. Um, But before we do that, there's an extraordinary piece of legislation in Wales that determines the fact that there must be safe staffing levels. Can you sort of expand upon that? The Nurses Staffing Levels Wales Act 2016, I think, uh, is close to your heart. It certainly is, you know, and uh, uh, since it was first decided on as a private member bill back in 2014, I've been closely connected with it on a, on a personal level. So for, the first thing to say is we're the only country in Europe to have a Nurse Staffing Level Act implemented. There's, there's a, a multi-professional act in Scotland, but it hasn't actually been implemented. So that's really pioneering. That's really pushing the boat out and being the forefront of doing these challenging things. For me, the Staffing Level Act does a few different things. Firstly, it raises the issue of staffing onto the corporate agenda. So part of the act is that it's not the responsibility of the Director of Nursing, it's the responsibility of the Health Board. Um, And one of its duties is to care sensitively for everything they provide and commission because remember our health boards are not just providers they're commissioners as well so that's very important Um, and that duty is going to take time to mature and to really embed but then another duty in the act is about having a defined methodology now 
even in the nursing profession ourselves, you have different scholars that think different things about nursing staffing levels. And um, nursing is very complicated because, do you know what? People are complicated. So you can't sort of say Joe Bloggs needs X nurses and Mrs. Jones needs Y nurses because those people will change and their conditions will change. So it's all about the number of staff, but actually it's also not about the number. There's a big argument that says if you prescribe a number, you just race to the bottom. Um, and if you do that you don't you don't really grasp the complexity of the patient and also of the skills of the of the nurses so when the act was going through these dilemmas were really coming to the fore Um, and originally the original act was talked about ratios Hmm. but the final piece of legislation prescribes a method and that method then can respond to professional judgment of the nurses and evidence-based workforce planning tools and nurse sensitive indicators falls pressure sores that sort of thing because it applies in adult medical and surgical and now in pediatrics but one of the really big things for me that um, I've seen as that act has been come into fruition is um, the indirect consequence of having that prescribed methodology is that you have to sort out your funding and your establishments. So in the act, the establishment is both the rotor of nurses and the headcount. And so the health boards have to be able to fund that. And that has changed significantly. We do several reports on this issue uh, and that showed that where the act applies... The funding for nurse staffing goes up and therefore that can be workforce planned for. Now, we can't always fill that establishment. That's a worldwide issue um, of, of nursing shortages and obviously our own issue in Wales. But at least we know what it is that we're trying to fill. Most health boards backfill that with agency and bank work. But at least they know on this shift in this team, this is the staffing that we need. So now we can start that short, medium and long-term planning and think about it wider as part of workforce planning. And I, I don't think I really saw that until the Act came into fruition and it's and it's actually been enacted. COVID has caused us some issues because many wars were repurposed. They had to be at the time. So we're coming back to a space where we need to get that back on track. Um, and the other thing the Act does is it says to people the patients and the families, this is the number of staff we should have on duty today. So you can walk into an adult ward or a paediatric ward in Wales and it should say, we should have five registered nurses and three support workers and today we've got five and three or four and one. So that actually people experiencing that care can see for themselves what the staffing level should be like. And that's about being transparent with our workforce and with our patients so that they know what they can expect and what can be achieved. So uh, the Royal College of Nursing is very proud of the Act uh, and it's certainly our wish to see it extended in the end to every area that um, nurses provide clinical care. But for the next phase, we think that mental health in patients are very important, um, health visiting and district nursing. We believe those are the areas we should go next and then that the government should focus on care homes and uh, the wider community setting as well. No, thank you for that because I think it acts as a, uh, a mechanism for governance and accountability and, as you say, for, for funding. The key issue uh, within the the workforce that we have now of course is ensuring that those that we do have 
are, are supported and are retained. Your report, uh, Valuing Nursing, which was published in February, identified a number of factors that are causing that leakage from the profession, pain conditions being an obvious one. But I wanted to touch upon another uh, topic, which I know it's, uh, you're very passionate about, and that talked about um, challenging workplace culture, wellness and burnout. And how important is that to be supported? And what are you seeing on the ground in terms of supporting the workforce right now to flourish in very, very challenging circumstances? Um, it is hugely important. You know, People go into nursing because they want to care for patients. If they go to work for one day and that's a challenge, they look, they think about how we're going to deal with that. If you then start going into work every day for weeks and months where that's a challenge, you start to feel this is not what I came into this job for and I can't do what I want to do. And there you get that, you get that burnout and then that sense of... I'm not doing this anymore because, you know, nurses want to care for patients as if they were their own families. And if you don't create that environment, you shouldn't be surprised when you get stress and burnout. And there are lots of really great initiatives. You know, there's um, a counselling line that people can use in Wales. There's some, you know, wellness initiatives that health boards do. And, and they're all they're all really great. But the reality also has to be is you've got to change what's throwing people into the river. And that's the, that's not enough staff. That, that comes over so clearly. There are not enough staff. So even if we've got really good wellness initiatives, we have to fix that problem of not enough staff or we'll just see more and more burnout and it's interesting because it's often the sort of newly qualified one or two years in that they're the ones that will leave and then again sort of five to ten years of experience where they just feel they've had enough and uh, again out on the picket lines the stories that I heard about you know I'm not doing it anymore I've moved on to agency or I only do one or two days in my NHS job because I can't take the stress of the environment and, and how it looks. So we have to round all of those things together, don't we? Yes, we need to carry on with wellness. You know, nurses talk to me about I didn't have time to go to the toilet on a 12-hour shift. So it's great to have somewhere to change your clothes and things like that. But if you can't actually get off a ward or, or an environment to go to the toilet, hmm. we've got issues that we have to sort out. And so I think that's something that we have to do. Some of that's about pump priming because we have got this massive gap in the workforce. What what do we do about that is the question, isn't it, to working together. So there's a bit about trying to encourage people back in because they're not they're not gone off the register. They're there. Some of them are doing bank, some of them are doing agency, some of them have gone to other places. So there's work to be done to encourage them back and into the NHS again, some of that has to be about pay. You know, we can't avoid avoid that. People will say, oh, agency staff get paid too much. No, they don't. Agency staff get paid the rate of the job. Simple as that. So we either have to start paying nurses the rate of the job or not be surprised when they go and find somewhere that will pay them the rate of the job. And it really does come down to some simple things like that. No, absolutely. As you say, the wellness support is important, but if we've got shortages, how do we stem that? And very briefly, um, wanted to talk about the role of international recruitment because that has a role to play. Um, I think in Wales there is a growing number of uh, international recruits, uh, and this plays to the wider issue around diversity and inclusion. So, just wanted you to touch upon that as a—it's not a solution to the the challenge, but it's uh, an element of the strategy. And I think that's absolutely the point for me. You know, the NHS 
really proud of our history that we're founded on a multicultural workforce and we couldn't have we couldn't have the nhs that we've got now if it wasn't for that so bringing different cultures into work in wales should be celebrated and we want them to feel welcome they need a big croisio you know a really big welcome because they won't want to stay otherwise but they can't be the whole solution you have to have a domestic supply you have to. If you want a sustainable workforce, don't forget, as you said earlier, 40% of the NHS workforce. So yes, an international supply of nurses should be welcomed and you know we will go out of our way to ensure that we do everything we can to support them. But they cannot be the full solution to the recruitment problem. We have to find a better way to increase our domestic supply and retain our domestic supply and actually our international nurses because we also know that many international nurses will work in Wales for a while but they'll get see the lights of London and other high cost areas where the NHS pays more for them so we're at risk of losing them to other parts of the NHS too if we don't really look after them. Part of that um, is going to be to ensure that they have career pathways, learning and development, and that's an important part of your responsibility at the RCN. I wanted to just end with uh, your insight and wisdom around the different ways that nurses are qualified. Um, And I think an important element is that there's research that you've highlighted, the RCN have highlighted, that having a a degree-level qualified nurse, a bachelor's degree, has a material impact on patient outcomes and in terms of patient mortality. So can we expand a little bit on that? Because that's quite an important, it's a very important element to uh, to focus on. And again, pioneering Wales. So um, the move towards an all-graduate nursing profession started in the sort of early 90s, really. But it took us a long time to get to a point where everybody who was training to be a nurse was doing a degree. In Wales, we went all-graduate in 2004. Again, not well known. Um, it took England 10 years to catch up with us. Um, and then when they did catch up with us, they also decided to look at introducing a role that's a foundation degree, which is a nursing associate role. And there is absolutely you know, clear evidence that if you train nurses to degree level, you will have a much safer workforce patient outcomes will improve they won't go into hospital um etc etc um society still challenges that do you need a degree to be a nurse um do you know i would say how could you not have a degree to be a nurse because people are complicated and they deserve it i deserve it you deserve it our families deserve it degree educated safety critical people to look after our care i'm going to demand it when i get to that age i'm telling you now so i think it's you know that's why it's important and i i hear it from nurses as well i didn't have need a degree and um you know do you need a degree And, and i just say embrace it and celebrate it degree level is not all about academic achievements i did my degree with colleagues who got third class degrees they're as great a nurse as as any other nurse i trained with you don't have you know people think degree you've all got to be a you know first class going into academia no 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 degree means you're a critical person who can look at something with a critical mind and challenge it and that is really key for patient care nurses have been doing that for centuries now we do it at degree level
And that's why patients are so much safer. So that, for me, is, is absolutely important. And in that conversation is the substitution element. I believe the more registered nurses you've got, the evidence shows that they'll be safer. I don't feel it's the right space to start looking at substituting registered nurses. And that's certainly the view of the Royal College of Nursing. And we say the evidence backs us up on that. Support workers should also be well qualified. And we should absolutely bring up their education and training to levels that are appropriate for the jobs that they do. And they take on more responsibilities now. But we mustn't substitute registered nurses we do that at our peril well that's a very stark uh, uh, warning then in the light of ucas numbers which you're of course familiar with with significant reduction in people entering education in wales for nursing uh, i guess the final point to wrap all of that up it, it, it's time for a national nurse retention strategy isn't it i believe so um and you know wales does work well in social partnership and um we do are doing work on retention but Doing work on retention has to be more than good guidance and um, helpful tools because those are already there. You can change them for Wales, great. You've, you've got to at some point hold the feet to the fire and say, what are we doing about that? For 10 years, people have said to me, oh, absolutely agree with you, need to do something about retention, really important. Um, but where have we actually got with that? Sometimes there's a bit of a sticky middle. So there's the sort of strategy across the senior policy, politicians, NHS, we want to do something about retention. But when you go and speak to members, which I do all the time, they'll say crazy stories. Units that, ha that employ 100 nurses, they want to work Monday and Tuesday for childcare reasons, and they're told they can't have that because if we do it for you, I've got to do it for everybody. So what do they do? They leave and they join an agency and guess where they work? Back in the same unit, working Mondays and Tuesdays for childcare reasons. So you can see there's a, there's a sort of a rhetoric and a reality of where we're going with retention. And in my book, that means we need a better strategy. One that's got timelines, milestones and actions that health boards have to take. Simple things like exit interviews. Wales cannot tell you how many it's done. And individual health organisations can't tell you the themes to that. That, again, feels like an absolute own goal. We have to understand why they're leaving if we want to try and ensure that we can keep them. So, again, in my view, the strategy is needed, not guidance. Guidance is great. I will welcome it. But strategy with accountability built into a performance framework. As you were saying earlier, that governance and responsibility is needed for nursing retention if we're really going to turn the tanker that we've got at the moment which is you know hemorrhaging nurses every day well we hope that the government is uh, listening uh, on that note i'd like to thank you uh, helen wiley for your wisdom and your time and uh, for your passion no problem nice to talk to you if you've enjoyed this episode of Voices of Care, please like, follow or subscribe wherever you receive your podcasts. And if you want to learn more about what we are doing to enable the healthcare workforce of the future, please visit newcrosshealthcare.com forward slash Voices of Care. In the meantime, I'm Sahel Mirza. Thank you and goodbye.